Hey friends, your pal Mike Shea from Sly Flourish. Here with a special episode of the Lazy DM Prep Show. Uh, I do not have a game today. Uh, my game got canceled. Three of my players couldn't make it. We have six. And I'm like, eh, I could run with three. But, you know, a lot of people would be missing a lot of stuff. So I said I'm not going to. So I thought this is going to be a long show, probably like a two-hour show. And we can talk about all kinds of stuff, all kinds of stuff about D&D, including some Frostmaiden stuff. Uh, this show, like all of the work of Sly Flourish, is brought to you by the patrons of Sly Flourish. You can become a patron of Sly Flourish by going to patreon.com slash slyflourish and signing up. The patrons help keep this show completely ad-free. They fund all of the equipment and they fund all of the bandwidth and all of the special tools and lots of different things. The Sly Flourish newsletter is thanks to them. So if you want to help Sly Flourish, uh, you can do so by uh, going to patreon.com slash slyflourish and signing up. You also get access to a bunch of exclusive stuff, some of which we will talk about today because I've got some new things that I'm working on. And uh, yeah, so so there's that. Yeah, so I got a list of a bunch of things we could talk about today. I was putting it together uh, with my friends on Discord earlier today. And uh, we can chat about anything, though. So if we have other topics that come up, feel free to bring them up. Feel free to bring up questions. If you are watching this on YouTube or listening on the podcast and you don't want to listen to two random hours of nonsense, uh, the, there will be a table of contents available on both YouTube and on the podcast. And you can see all of the topics that we talk about today. And you can click on any of the links and jump to that section. So that way, if you want to see just the Frost Maiden talk, you can go to just the Frost Maiden talk. If you want to go to uh, any of the other topics, you can select any of those topics. So I'm going to put, my plan is to edit the show afterwards. Edit's a strong term. I'm going to do a little bit of post-processing, but in, 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 Along with that, I am going to um, put in a table of contents so that you can jump to whatever section you want to talk to. Uh, it's a real handy feature. So that's available both on the YouTube and the podcast if you're watching or listening on either of those. Random Sly Flourish nonsense equals the best nonsense. I doubt that that's true. But it's not really random because I did come up with a list. So let's go down here. Mike Zettelkasten. And we have May 16th. Open this page up. May 16th, 2021, Twitch show notes. So, um, and we, again, we can talk about anything. So uh, if you want to, uh, if you have any topics you want to talk about, we can talk about them. Tolis, I got the Tolis hardcover right here. I think it is, it is the biggest RPG book I think I've ever gotten. Uh, it measures, hang on, do I have my tape measure? Oh, hang on, oh, I gotta move the mic. This is gonna screw everything up. That's worth it. Oh, I get the tape measure. All right. Get the mic back. It measures two inches thick. My arm is shaking. It's it's a two-inch thick book. It is how many pages? Uh, 670 pages. Uh, that covers the city of Tolis, a, a campaign city. Uh, the intent of this city is to um, be an entire campaign setting. So you can go from 1st to 20th level in one big-ass city. Uh, the Kickstarter was a year ago, roughly. That is the sound of the Tolis book, because I can't hold it anymore. I almost spilled my coffee. Uh, it's got three ribbons in it. It's got a packet that I haven't even opened yet. Let's open the packet, everybody. And there's a packet in the back. That includes a bunch of things. I keep banging the mic. I'm sorry. It's this book. It's so big. It's like 
So my my next biggest RPG book was the Zweihander RPG book, and I hate to say it, but Tolis is actually bigger than Zweihander. Uh, if you want to do some exercises, you can do some some shoulder presses uh, with your two big RPG books. I'm asking a lot of my, my bookshelf on these guys, so they are monstrous. Uh, but let's take a look at what's inside that packet. Uh, they have a big poster map of Tolis. Scooch back. That's one side. Am I holding that right side up? Oh, that's like a dungeon map. Oh, that's the spire. So it's got a whole map of the spire on one side. And then it's got a big map of the city on the other side. So very nice poster map. You'd expect, you'd expect a good poster map. Uh, for this and then I think it's got a bunch of handouts tons of like handouts so it's got like the local region uh, Delver's Square maps of various houses it's got like uh, what are these newspapers these one sheet newspapers for the city uh, are here it's got a calendar oh man tons and tons and just I can't even go through it all uh, character sheets Told us at a glance, you know, pieces of the player's guide. Uh, character sheets that are both for 5e and for, uh, it looks like, yeah, and then more handouts. So tons of stuff. It is... <sighs> so it doesn't have the physical props that a... Um, that like a, uh, a Beetle and Grimm box set has, but this feels like a Beetle and Grimm sized thing, right? This, this book. Uh, I think they have a pre-order. Uh, I think you can... Uh, oh, hey, I got a raid. Hey, Rackham, thank you for sending folks over. Uh, I think that you can still order this uh, on Monty Cook Games, if you go to Monty Cook Games and look it up. The one thing you can do is you can get the PDF of the player's guide for free, and I recommend it. If somebody would be so bold as to go find the... Players, the player, player's guide to Tolis. It is on Drive Through RPG. You can add it to your library for free, and uh, it is a thirty-page-ish guide to the city. That is a great way if you're thinking like, "Huh, I wonder if this is something I should get into." Uh, and you, you know, before you drop, I think it's one hundred and fifty bucks for the hardcover version here. Um, oh, shake that out. Uh, if you uh, want to see what it's like and you want to, you don't want to drop the 150 bucks on it yet, or even I think it's a 50 for the PDF or something like that, you can go read the player's guide. And I did. So last week I had the opportunity to just kind of relax and read the player's guide. And it's really cool. Uh, the setting is very adventure focused. It's very built around adventurers. It's about a big city that sits on top of ancient ruins. It's a high magic city. There's a lot of cool stuff going on. And uh, the one, my only criticism that kind of came to me while I was reading it, and this is kind of a criticism that only really affects me, is it's it's a lot like Sharn, right? The world feels a lot like Sharn. There's when I was reading through the factions and I was reading through like the noble houses and the the neighborhoods and stuff like that, it felt a lot like uh, Sharn uh, from Eberron, and I just ran essentially a, a year-long campaign with six months of it set in Sharn. So while I was thinking like, huh, it would be cool. Oh, thank you. RSR70 posted the link uh, in the uh, uh, in the Twitch chat. So you can check it out there. And it's really cool. Um, but the question is, if you've just run a campaign in Sharn, uh, 
do you really want to run one in Tolis? Now, Tolis, obviously, 670 pages on one city. There's nothing. All the If you took all the material written about Sharn, it's not going to be that big. So there's way more material for Tolis. And Tolis being kind of a unique setting would be pretty cool. Uh, the trick for me is, like, if I decided, like, okay, when I'm done with Frostmaiden, I'm going to run a Tolis campaign. Both groups that I've run just finished a Sharn campaign right before we did Frostmaiden. I don't know that that would be – I think it would feel too similar. I don't think it's enough of a big change. So that's that's the only that's my only criticism of um, Tolis, and that's not does it have Ravnica vibes? I I don't think it has Ravnica vibes because it the Ravnica is really so it's a planet. Ravnica is a planet sized city. You could certainly you know strip all of these for parts and take parts of it, but I I'd say it feels a lot more like Eberron and Sharn than it does like Ravnica in the idea that you're like, you're walking along the streets and there's ogres that are walking along hauling goods as well. Right. There's like, it's got a lot of the same sort of, you know, melting pot setting that, um, that, 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 um, Sharn does. Now, if you were running Sharn and you wanted a lot of material, I think you could take the Tolis book and Sharn and mash them together pretty well. And, and I, and I think I've already written a thing about how you can take, uh, Ravnica and take some of the factions and stuff that's in the Ravnica book and put it into um, Eberron. I think you could do the same thing. Uh, is Tolis its own setting? It is not that the one I've got is the 5e version, but it's really light on 5e mechanics, which is good, right? It's mostly flavor. Uh, they designed it for both 5e and for the Cypher system. The Cypher system is an excellent system that is unique to Monty Cook games. They they use it for Numenera and The Strange and other RPGs. Uh, they the the 5e there is a Tolis book built for um, uh, for both systems. I don't think they're that different though. I th I think it wouldn't be that hard. I think like the player's guide, for example, works for both. And I have a feeling most of it works for both. There are stat blocks in there, but it's not a lot. So um, yeah, it was actually right. The, 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 the story behind how Tolis was made, which you can read in the player's guide, is that Monty Cook developed it as his Petri dish for testing out sec uh, uh, third edition stuff. So this is when Monty Cook was one of the main developers, or was lead developer, I think, on third edition of D&D. And he used Tolis. And, and if you read like the players that were there, many of them are now working at uh, Monty Cook Games. Um, Bruce Cordell and uh, Sean Reynolds in particular, uh, I think, were both in the original group. But like Chris Perkins was there and Stan was there. And there's a number of like D&D luminaries that played in Monty Cook's Tolis campaign. So I think uh, when... Monty Cook was talking about Tolis. I think Chris Perkins was on the podcast. So if you go check YouTube, you can see that Chris Perkins talking about what his characters were like when he was playing in Tolis. So, so they're all friends. Uh, I mean, you could play different themes and genres to differentiate your Tolis campaign. You could, right? But it was like I don't know. I'd want to play it. You know, I want to play it with the themes that it's got. Maybe some. So I think the, the end result is I'm not going to play it next. You know, and maybe I'll play it one day, but I don't know. Um, I, you know, probably. Be, years before i play it which is mostly because i'm going to be playing the same players and they don't do they need another great big eclectic melting pot city based campaign uh van richten's guide so i'm just kind of going down my list of stuff uh and again we could talk about anything so if you got other topics you want to talk about feel free to bring them up or if you got ones that you see on this list you're like oh i want to hear about that let's talk about that we can always jump to that uh van richten's guide is coming out this week uh, i think it's coming out tuesday so i'll probably pick it up this week and then i'll know more about it i have not read the reviews um, I tend not to find a lot, like if, you know, it's a good preview, but like I'll wait a week and I'll have it in my hands. 
So I don't really need to read the previews because I'm going to own it, right? And then I'll know what I think of it. Uh, so I don't, I'm not so, you know, crazy excited about it that I have to read all the spoilers, and not spoilers really, but, you know, all the previews on it because I want to see it for myself. Um, I do, you know, there's part of me, I think Polygon. So when I hear a title like this, Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft is the biggest, best D&B book of this generation. Really? Better than the Monster Manual. Better than the Player's Handbook. Right? Like, I see this kind of thing all the time. And, like, when you look back at, like, the... Of Descent into Avernus. Overall, I'm extremely impressed with Descent into Avernus. It's easily the best adventure module that Wizards has put out all year. But they only put out, like, one a year. Tremendous value given the amount of material. It's also an interesting prequel to upcoming computer game, right? This is such marketing stuff, right? Like, first of all, the fact that they tried to tie Descent into Avernus to Baldur's Gate 3 was a mistake, in my opinion, right? Like, what a mess that was. And it, they ended up, like, jamming all of just, you know, Baldur's Gate into it. And everyone's like, why is this in here? So I feel like reviews of D&D books in particular, which is also true about computer games, right? Like, it's almost like preview computer game things. Whenever you read previews of computer games or previews of movies, they don't tell you anything that is actually valuable because they don't tell you whether or not the game is any good. How many previews of Cyberpunk 2077 were there? Right? A lot, right? Or uh, Mass Effect Andromeda, a lot. Nobody said like, ooh, we're questioning this one. They were like, no, it's gonna be the best new Mass Effect game. Ah. And then it comes out like, oh, it's terrible. So. Uh, reviews like Polygon do sell books. They do. The question is, so they're, they're good for wizards. Are they good for us? Right? I argue not really. Now on the other side I go to, and, and this is a, you know, my position of privilege here, um, that I can just go buy it. Right. And it's 50 bucks. And I, it's funny that like for a video game, if I spend 50 bucks on a video game, the video game sucks. I feel really bad about it. I guess the difference is like, I can always get something out of these books, right? Like I do not consider, I, I, I do not recommend Descent into Avernus and I do not consider it to be in their upper 50% of their adventures. Right. I don't think it's a great adventure and it took a lot of work to run. I still had a great time running it for my friends. It just took more work, right? And I feel like for the 50 bucks I spent that it did not serve me as well as I would like to be served when I spend $50 on an adventure because it's a lot of money for an adventure. And that said, like, I know I'm going to buy Van Richten's. There's not even a question of whether I'm going to buy Van Richten's, right? And do I recommend it to other people? I don't know. Like, it depends, right? But I'll tell you, when I read a headline like Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft is the biggest, best D&D book of this generation, come on. Come on, really? Like that is you're 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 oh my god. This is better I like I bet you it's not more popular than Xanathar's, right? That's for sure. And what about the core books? Like it's better than the core book. You can't play it without the core books. So how does that work? Right? Now, is it one of the better setting books? Maybe. I think it could be a great setting book, you know. I don't know. I'll find out I'll find out next week. I just, I, I bristle because it's like, you know, they're not going to say like, oh, we read the preview and eh, you know, we don't know why this is going on here or, or whatever. And you go on Reddit and re people on Reddit are like, how come there's no stat blocks for any of the, 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 what are they called? The dread riders, what, uh, um, whoever the rulers of the domains of dreads are. So, um, are the people responsible for descent still in charge of wizards? Yeah. Yeah, the answer is sure they are. Uh, no, nobody's, it's just clickbait. Yeah, it's like reverse clickbait, right? Oh, it's so good. 
So I'm, I, get, I bristle at this, and, and, and it means that I don't bother with reviews because I'm going to buy it anyway. Like, I buy everything. You know, even I, I think I own every single book that they've put out in fifth edition. I don't think I've missed any of them. Uh, and, you know, I'm going to buy it, and some of them I spend more time with than others. I picked up Mythic Odyssey of Theros. I didn't really spend I read it. I read good pieces of it, right? And it's fine. Do I recommend it? I would if you're running, like, a Greek-themed adventure. You know, sure. Or, you know, that would be fine. So anyway, I'm enough bashing. I'm bashing the marketing. It works. It clearly works. And actually, this is a topic I want to get into in a minute. Um, but I'm not going to bother with the reviews because I don't think they tell me anything. They'll show me stuff, but I'm going to see the whole thing. So what am I waiting for? Anyway, so that's my thought of Van Richten's guide. I have no idea if the book itself is any good, is my point. I don't buy that it's the best fifth edition book ever. You know, that seems extreme. Uh, so on the other side, we have a new adventure path coming up, a new adventure, hardcover adventure. I think, I guess they didn't say that's a new hardcover adventure, but I think all of the stars are aligning. The stars were that, um, what's his name? The guy that runs, uh, the fifth edition team said, we have a new, uh, Chris Perkins adventure coming out this summer, right? And at the same time, there is now a June or July announcement that they're doing a D&D, big D&D event. And I think it's safe to say that it's going to be built around a campaign adventure. So I expect that we're going to see a new adventure. A question that came up is, are they going to do a nice one? Like, when are we going to have one that's high optimism? You know, because we just did... So what are the last published adventures uh we have rhyme of the frost maiden and before that i believe was descent into avernus what was before that and i'm not including like the and the anthology adventures like candlekeep mysteries because candlekeep mysteries you could say that the many of them are optim they're, they're op optimism they're they're not i guess what, I'm, what am i talking about like thematically they're dark you know we have a lot of dark and gritty ones particularly the last two descent into avernus was dark and gritty enough that i didn't want to run it for my main games um you know uh mad mage tomb of annihilation so tomb of annihilation is kind of dark and gritty it got dark and gritty really fast and parts of it are but it's you know i i felt like night port nyanzaru was pretty optimistic i felt like a lot of the jungle stuff was interesting it wasn't horror themed and between like the 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 crazy body horror of Descent into Avernus and then the isolation nature of um, Frostmaiden, and I and I would yeah probably Tomb of Annihilation right and and I think Dun uh, uh, Dragon of Ice Bar or not Dragon of Ice Bar Peak what am I saying and though actually Dragon of Ice Bar Peak is a nice optimistic adventure it's a straightforward D and D adventure it's not crazy themes of darkness and villainy um, and Waterdeep Dragon Heist I would say is not a um, that one is thematically fun and small focus. It's not a horror themed adventure, but we've had two big horror themed adventures now. And I would kind of, and now we have Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, which is a whole thing about how to do horror. I, you know, it's time for something a little green or light or airy or fun or whimsical. Right. And I, it's one thing that I love about Monty Cook games and, and I love about their style of writing the adventures that they write, particularly Numenera, is how they've taken these apocalyptic times, you know, billion years at, you know, billion years in the future of Earth. And it's optimistic. There's small villages. People are happy. There's, you know, it's, a, it's good. Like there's dark stuff that in corners of Numenera. 
But largely, it's a very optimistic themed campaign, and I like it for that. And the game is built around that. Exploration and discovery is a big focus on that. And I just feel like survival horror, I'm kind of done with survival horror as a theme. And if they do another survival horror hardback adventure, I'm probably going to give it a miss because it's time for something nice, right? And I don't know what I'll do. Uh, my Eberron game, I'd say, was pretty positive, although it spent half its time in the Mornland, and the Mornland is a big horrible place. So uh, even that was pretty dark and, and dismal. Um, but Sharn and a lot of the other places I think were cool, and I, I don't feel like my group felt that it was like this horror-themed thing all the time. There was a lot of really wild, interesting things going on there. So it would be nice to see stuff that's not so grim all the time, is my point. Not that anybody's asking my opinion on it. Uh why did I say third party? Have have it's not third party adventures. It's published. Have Watsy hardcover. So here's kind of a hot take. Um, yeah, so they do have some Feywild stuff, right? And so maybe the Feywild stuff is going to lead into more. Um, you know, I think of a Fey campaign, a fairy campaign would be a cool thing to see. Um, <clears throat> Is there still an assumption the next big release will be Dragonlance? No, there is not that assumption. I mean, there's an assumption, maybe, from some people. I don't have that assumption. What does optimistic look like? I would say optimistic focuses its themes around exploration and discovery rather than survival, right? That's number one. Um, I would say that while you always have your upward and downward beats in a game, I would say the upward and downward beats for an optimistic game are trending upwards, right? That the world is getting good. I would say that you have a home base that you like and, and feel comfortable in. I know I, I was very careful when I wrote Ruins of the Grendel Root to ensure that Deep Delver's Enclave, uh, the main hub village of Grand, Ruins, because Ruins of the Grendel Root is set underground, in the middle of like all of these terrible caves filled with horrors from the, un you know, from the unknown, sitting atop a dead city that was ruled over by evil archmages, right? It was really easy to make that a grim place. And my goal was that, you know, from the beginning was that Deep Delver's Enclave is a shining light in the darkness. It is a place you want to go to. I want you to read it as a GM and want to be there. I want the players to hear about it and want to be there, right? It was really important to me. And I tried even almost like wacky that like they have, you know, Wee Delver's Day. Wee Delver's Day is when you and the kids go out and delve into the darkest places in the dungeon together, right? As a family. And I thought like that's, you know, it's crazy and fun at the same, like terrible stuff happens there, but nobody cares. And they just go on with their day. So I, 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 I was very specific about that. That to me is like an optimistic adventure, you know, that like, I mean, the way Rhyme of the Frost, I'll give you the opposite example. Rhyme of the Frost made the town speakers are aiding and sacrifices their own people, right? That's dark. It's so dark, I changed it because I was like, I don't want to do that. Uh, in Descent into Avernus, you burn soul coins in order to fuel vehicles to get from A to B, right? The worst thing you could possibly do, destroy a soul. I talked all about this. That's dark and grim. That idea that like, you know, the fall of your character, you know, the, the your character... Uh, I'm going to talk about one of the things in, in the latter chapters of Frostmaiden. So here's a Frostmaiden spoiler. There are these tests that you have to do at the end of Frostmaiden when you're in the, the um, Grimskull, the, the Frostmaiden's lair, which is an old frost giant lair. And you have to do these tests. And one of the tests is like you have to purposefully do something cruel. Your characters have to purposefully like let people die or kill somebody so that they can eat them or something like that. I don't remember the exact details off the top of my head, but I remember reading it. Uh, I remember reading it and and thinking like, this sucks, you know, like, 
my players aren't going to want their character to do this, right? Like, no. So I, I didn't, I didn't dig it. And, and that to me is a grim, is a grim thing. Uh, uh, LARP Strong Carter, uh, if someone purchases your PDF, are you okay with them reading it on stream? Yes, I am okay. F read it on stream. Enjoy. I am trying to learn to do better DM. So reading D&D PhD was going to ask them to do lazy and return after. Sure. Yes, I've done so. So on my own videos, you can see it. Uh, all I ask is if you do so, if you please in your videos, uh, or in your Twitch stream, if you link to the original product, uh, so that people can go find it, uh, and, and of course attribute it. That that's the, uh, that's all I ask. Um, spoiler talk is done, but I'm going to be talking about Rhyme of the Frostman again here in a minute, but I'm, I'm done talking about Rhyme of the Frostman now. So you can unmute. Um, so here's a thought I had, this is a cynical thought getting along the lines of Polygon and their Van Richten's guide is the best thing that Watsi's ever done this generation. And the question is when Watsi is doing a published adventure these days, is that really a giant marketing catalyst? I know this is probably naive. It's cynical and naive at the same time. Of course it is on one side. And on the other side, it's like, oh, it's not a giant, you know, I think it could be. But I think about how Descent, how, how um, Descent into Avernus came about and how Baldur's Gate, it feels like, I don't know that it's, this is true, but it feels like Baldur's Gate was sort of stuck in there in order to connect to Baldur's Gate 3. And that it feels like the creative side of it bowed down to the marketing side of it strictly so they had like a blurb to put in there and it hurt the adventure, right? It, it's in my mind, it hurt the adventure to do that. So what I wonder is, you know, when we see these published adventures, are they really intended as big campaigns that groups are going to play through? I know, I, and I guess the answer is like, yeah, they still are because people do. And, you know, more people, I think it's safe to say, this is one of those weird statistical statements that doesn't make intuitive sense when you first hear it, but more people play the published adventures than any other adventure, right? More people play homebrew, but they're not playing the same homebrew. But like, if you play Rime of the Frostbane or Tomb of Annihilation or Descent into Avernus or any of these, you're going to find more people that have played those as well. And then you can share those stories with them about how your game went compared to their gamer, what happened with your characters as opposed to what happened to their characters. Um, so they, and, and they're, they're almost like seasonal sort of events, right? And they, they are sort of like the new expansion to an MMO in the sense that you all play them. But the reality is most people play their own adventures in their own campaign worlds. They're not playing these, right? The most, most people play their own. Uh, but then the next one down are playing in big published settings like Forgotten Realms. And they're probably playing big campaign adventures like these. I just, I wonder if like from Watsi's standpoint, they're more concerned about the marketing aspect of the book than they are about the content of the book. You know, it feels like it. I'm being, and maybe I'm being overly harsh, but like, I, I feel like the last two, the, maybe the last three, uh, I felt like Tomb of Annihilation didn't miss the mark. I think I feel like Tomb of the Tomb of Annihilation was. So let me. I'm going to make a statement, and then I might might rein it back. Right? I might change my mind. My statement is that Tomb of Annihilation was the last really great Watsi adventure that they put out, and since then we've had um, Waterdeep Dragon Heist. We've had Dungeon of the Mad Mage. You know, some of these I don't really count. Dungeon of the Mad Mage I don't really count. Candlekeep I don't really count. 
Uh, salt marsh was really great. And salt marsh is, again, a, a, a combination of them. And it was done by a third party. Cobalt Press did it. Um, or they put it together anyway. And I really liked Ghost of Salt Marsh for the most part. I like six-sevenths of it, something like that. Um, I really like uh, Dragon of Ice Spire Peak, which came out in the DSD Essentials kit. That has come out since, and I love that one, but it's not a hardback adventure. But I feel like uh, Waterdeep Dragon Heist required a fair bit of work for me, and I feel like it missed the mark in a lot of areas. Uh, that um, Descent into Avernus definitely missed a lot of marks for me. I had to do a lot of work to get that adventure into a place where I liked it, and it feels like so did a lot of other people. When I read Justin Alexander and the way he changed it for the Alexandrian remix, right? That's a lot of work he did. I think he wrote more words to change it than the book actually has. Uh, and then Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, I'm, I'm reading through and I'm, I'm constantly tweaking how I'm running it because I don't, I keep feeling like I'm not running it right. And it's because it doesn't tell me how to run it. Right. And I'm now I'm reading the latter half and I'm like, Whoa, I'm changing that. Like I got to change that. I'm not running that that way. And it feels like there's major parts of the adventure that I have to change because I, I, not just because I, I think it's not perfect for my group, but because, um, I don't think it works that well the way it goes. So what I wonder is from Watsi's standpoint, are they more concerned about getting them out there and having these big press events and getting all the celebrities to run games online and, you know, sort of all these talk shows and having Polygon write articles that say it's the best thing they've ever done. Is that more important to them than actually really spending the time to make a great adventure like they had? So I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm torn about that. Uh, I'm torn about that. And I hope they do. Cause like, I love their stuff, right? I'm not bashing wizards of the coast. I love fifth edition. You know, I've been running it now for six years. I, I, I adore it. I don't, I look back fondly in all of the adventures that I've run good or bad, you know, whether I like the product or not, I've enjoyed running them and my friends and I are having a great time. Right. So I'm certainly on board and I buy everything they put out. So it's not like I'm not a customer of theirs. Right. Um, <clears throat> I just feel like they could be better. And I don't know where the the mark, I don't know where they missed the mark. You know, at first I thought it was production that the, something in the production process inside Wizards of the Coast is putting out a substandard product, but I'm not sure. I think it could be that there's somebody in a position of power there who doesn't have the same philosophy about putting out an adventure that I do, which is a bummer. Like putting Sephic Kaltura at level one. Um, spoiler, sorry. So I really think there's a key difference in how Watsi views its adventures versus something like Paizo and how they view their adventures. Yeah, I, I think that this is also the first time that Wizards of the Coast made money on adventures in 40 years, you know? So I think that that has changed it. And I think the marketing side has latched onto it. And they say, like, when you put out all these big things like Descent and Avernus, it is a big marketing push. Icewind Dale, big marketing push. You know, so I, but I, I wonder whether or not marketing has too much control over the adventure, I guess is, is kind of what I'm getting to. It's separate. Marketing is overhyped, but the content may be simply be lukewarm because their customer base has become so broad they have to appeal. I don't think they're writing something. Like, I would say, if you look at Dragon of Ice Spire Peak, that is a broad adventure. That That is their broad appeal. It's a very straightforward, traditional D&D adventure. And it's fantastic. It's the best one they've put out since Lost Mind of Fandelver. It's in my top two, right? It's a wonderful. So I think they're being too narrow because think about how narrow the focus of Descent into Avernus and Rhyme of the Frostmaiden are. It's survival horror. This is based on the thing. You go to towns and they're sacrificing their own people. I'm sorry, I'm spoiling stuff again. I guess I'm not spoiling a lot. That's not in the beginning, right? But like, 
It's this grim situation. 14-year-olds aren't going to want to play. I mean, they probably would. They probably love it, right? But I don't know. It, it, that's not broad appeal That because it doesn't appeal to me. And I don't think I'm outside the mark on what we want because I love Dragon of Star Peak. And so do lots of other people. It's my most popular article on my website. So lots of people are playing that. That's broad. Make more stuff like that. Um Watsy Adventures are just a skeleton with more room to put your own story into the adventure to make it work, where Paizo Adventure Paths has all the details. Yeah, and I don't want all the details. And I actually like the shape of the adventures in the sense that they are loose. They're kind of tight sandboxes, right? You have options about directions to go, and there's lots of things you can use. And you can use them as sort of toolkits to build your own adventure, and I like that. Um but I think like in the case of Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, I don't know how I'm supposed to be putting the quests out. That gives me no instruction. Do I dump 12 quests on them at once or do I only give them three and which three, right? I don't know. And it doesn't help me, right? And I have to figure it out. And like, I'm a smart dude. I've been doing this a long time and I can't figure it out. <laughs> That's telling, you know, maybe I'm just obtuse. Uh, Out of the Abyss was also the same bucket, though. This isn't necessarily a new change. Out of the Abyss is different, though. So the early adventures, recall that Watsi didn't write them, that they were written by different, they were written by different uh, companies. And uh, I forget who did Out of the Abyss. It was, was that, it was either Green Ronin or it was Sasquatch Games. One of the two of them did it. I don't remember which. But they, they thought that the adventures, this is back when they thought the adventures weren't going to make a lot of money. And so... The first three were written by external companies. Cobalt Press wrote um, a Tyranny of Dragons, and that was hugely popular and still is. Um, Princes of the Apocalypse was written by either Sasquatch or Green Ronin, and Out of the Abyss was written by the other company, which wasn't one of those. And those are the first three. And then it turned out those actually sold pretty well. And then they did Curse of Strahd, and it went boom, through the roof. And then they brought it back in-house, and they started writing all of their adventures in-house. And then for a while, they were in-house, and it was a small development team. And that was... The small development team is when they did, um, so Curse of Strahd, uh, Storm King's Thunder, which is also the first time I think it started to lead towards, um, it started to lead towards being a marketing thing. That was when they first had their like big release events, Tomb of Annihilation. So those three were in-house and primarily in-house with few freelancers. And then they did Dragon, um, um. Dungeon of the Mad Mage and Waterdeep Dragon Heist, which had lots of authors. And then they started going to lots of authors. And now there's still lots of authors. And I don't know. I, I don't blame the fact that they have lots of authors as a reason why these adventures aren't resonating with me as much. Um, but I do think that the process of trying to get lots of authors to write towards a common theme could be hard. And maybe that's where things are falling apart. And I, it just feels like they're not getting enough time. So anyway, I mean, we'll see what they do in July. And we'll see what it's like. And I hope it's not grim and brutal and rough and dark and scary i hope it's fun and whimsical and exploration and um, discovery and everything like that so it's a couple of topics that are tied to this um and this is something uh, um yeah a friend of mine brought up in discord uh Herefit brought it up in discord saying so how do we steal let's we talk about it so i, I did a video um, actually it's not out yet. It will be out in a few weeks, out in a week or two, uh, about the value of published material. And I've talked about it before on the show and anybody that's listened to me for a long period of time probably heard that, which is regardless of my feelings on descent into Avernus, there's a lot of stuff you can take from that. If you're running adventures in hell, you know, that's a good book to use for that. Uh, just the artwork alone. And all of these books tend to be good 
for inspiration and to steal from and to use for your ideas. But how do you do that? So let's, I'm going to put the topic of, do you do that? Should you do that aside and say, yes, you should steal, get buy buy good quality stuff and steal from it for your own campaign world and your own campaign adventures. That's a given. Um, how do you steal? What do you steal? So there's, I think there's a bunch of different things that you can, when we think about the parts that we can steal from, so you can steal themes, right? General themes. I like that theme and I'm going to run with that theme. I'm going to do my own stuff inside, but I like the theme in the, you know, of that. That's something you can steal. Um, and that's like in using it for inspiration. You know, if you just read it and look at the art and let the art inspire you. You know, uh, how many times have you seen a movie preview and the preview was awesome and then you watch the movie and the movie was blah. And it's like the movie, the preview inspired a story in your head that was better than the one that turned out to be on screen. If you take one of these books and flip through it, just look at the art and go, that piece of art grabs me. Um, there is some old art, from, old D&D art uh, that I think was done by... And I, I remember looking at it and the artwork inspired ideas in my head, right? Like when I was a kid, I'd look at the art and the art, I'd lose myself in the art, right? And I don't think we do that as much as adults, like lose ourselves in the art. Just, just look at the artwork and think about what that means to you and build your adventures from that. Art is obviously art inspires all the time. And I remember like I wrote whole campaigns. So uh, Lord Soth's Charge, right? Keith, yeah, I'm sorry. Keith Parkinson is the artist. You know, fantastic piece of artwork. Yeah, I know. Uh, Keith, Keith Parkinson, unfortunately, is no longer with us. And I love this piece because it was like, you know, here's a death knight writing in his nightmare. I'm like, wait, it's not one death knight. That's like a whole bunch of death knights, right? Or whites on nightmares, right? And I just love that idea. And I ran... I ran a scene in a game when I was a kid that based on this of where they got charged. And I think I've run it multiple times. I think I've run it for my group recently where a death knight leading a whole bunch of whites that were all on nightmares, you know, came roaring into town. And it inspired, this piece of art inspired me multiple times. Think about this as a, uh, and I, I think I've written about this before. Think about this in this, in a seven samurai sense that you, the adventurers are there to defend a town that is going to get stormed down by a death knight and a bunch of whites. Like that's a tier two, tier three, probably tier three way to run a seven samurai game. And it'd be awesome, right? And I'm just thinking about that from a piece of art. So my point is steal from art. That's something you can steal from, from published material. Maps, of course, you can steal maps all the time. Although maps have become, I hate to say it, like a, com you know, low, a low commodity because Dyson, the value of it, Dyson is giving so many maps away and they are using Dyson maps for wizards. It's hard to say, I need to buy a $50 book to get Dyson maps when you get a thousand Dyson maps for free. But maps come up and they, they're probably pretty good. So I would, you know, maps are another thing you can steal. Uh, locations in general though, it's the map with the descriptions of the places. Um, <clears throat> you know, those are... Um, that's something that you can grab from. You can grab sort of a location and ignore how people got there and what the story is of the place and just use the location in the description, you know, and that, and that works really well. Uh, what else? Obviously magic items and monsters you can steal, like any custom monsters that are there you might steal. Encounters in general you might steal. Um, parts of it you might steal. I, I, so one thing I think is true, I think, one other thing I think it's here, um, Chapter one of Baldur's Gate, Descent into Avernus, I think runs really well on its own. The Baldur's Gate part runs really well on its own uh, if you don't connect it to El Torel and 
Avernus, right? Remove the Elturel Avernus part or keep the Elturel part and say, we're just going to talk about our group of adventurers that gets conscripted to do stuff in Baldur's Gate. And they have the opportunity to like break down the corruption of Baldur's Gate by going after the Vanthifer family, right? And then end it with the stuff in Vanthifer. And then it's like a first to fifth level small adventure. And it, I think it runs really well that way. I think it could. I, I ran that part and I really enjoyed it. So even you know, I talked about the mashing of Baldur's Gate, and I think the problem was thematic. But if you break that theme out, I think it can work. So how to steal parts of an adventure and run just the part, I think, works really well. Um, scenes and moments from adventures that you can reflavor, uh, says the Rockham. Yeah, I think it's great. Um, so what are other things that you can steal directly from an adventure? What else is in it? You know, big maps inspiration for stories, inspiring artwork, um, locations, NPCs. You can grab and pull NPCs out of them. That works. Then another idea, and this is my, my, my friend Jeff Greiner does this all the time. He likes to take multiple hardback adventures and shuffle them together like a deck of cards and mash them into one thing and, and, and offer them up. So his characters might be dealing with drag you know the stolen gold in in Waterdeep, and next thing you know they're in they're in ravenloft doing ravenloft stuff you know so he and and like the you know the ravenloft slash uh out of the abyss i think he included out of the abyss and multi, some sometimes he's taken multiple adventures and mashed them together so you could take something like um uh, Tomb of Annihilation and mix it up with a bunch of stuff from Mythic Odyssey of Theros. And now it's a Greek themed adventure set in, you know, set there. Like, you know, you can, yeah, I think you could really mash together a lot of this stuff uh, in a lot of different ways. You could turn things on their heads. So one thing I've been, I, I wrote, I'm working on a, or have worked on, it's the draft is written, a campaign outline uh, in which what if like all of the major hardcover adventures took place and the adventurers didn't get involved and they succeeded, the villain succeeded. So Tiamat has risen and now she's ruling over Waterdeep. Um, the money got ex ex um, uh, absconded and now Lord Neverember is back in uh, Neverwinter with his pile of gold. Um, there is a new god born in the cradle of Cholt uh, having devoured a million souls, uh, you know, take all of these things. And then mine was like, what if you had, or all the demon princes are ruling over the underdark. There is a prince of elemental evil sitting on a throne of molten iron in the center of what used to be the Deserin Valley. And a giant glacier is moving down from the South, uh, moving South from the spine of the world. What if all that happened at once? Right. And now I've got like this massive campaign arc, one to 20 campaign where the villains are all of the villains from all the hardcover adventures. Right. I think it could be really cool. And I think it'd be even cooler that like the, your the some of the villains that you'd face in those actually become your allies. So never never Ember is an ally. Um uh what's her name from uh Storm King's Thunder? Imrith is an ally, right? And you know, um Zastam is an ally. So I think there could be really cool like mashups you could do. And you think about like what if, you know, I think that that like Marvel comics, you know, what if idea like what if you took this and flipped it on its head what if a sararak was right you know and what he's doing is actually on purpose and how would you how would you you know rotate it 90 degrees or 180 degrees and do it differently what if you start at the end of the campaign and work backwards i don't know so i think there's lots of like you know i think i think what if asking what if when you're reading an adventure might be kind of a fun thing to do 
Um, and stealing. Uh, Storm King's Thunder is like totally built for stealing for parts, right? You can use any one of those giant fortresses independently. You don't have to run them together at all. all there's five giant fortresses in there. Um, the same is true with um, the lairs in Dragon Heist, right? They're, they have boss lairs for, I think, all four of the main bosses. And yet they're not really part of the adventure and you can use them otherwise. Um, Ghost of Saltmarsh has like a huge section. James Intercasso wrote it and it's fantastic. Huge section at the end of Ghost of Saltmarsh that has a bunch of different like underwater layers. So yeah, I think, I think we can steal from all this stuff. And I think that's probably a really valuable way to get it. So I hope that gives some ideas about how to do it. Um, I bashed Watsi a lot in the last 50 minutes and, you know, and piling on. One thing I will say is that like, we should think about, I mean, we should, I'm going to offer a thought again and, and, you know, people can think about whether it's a good idea or whether I'm baked, but like, I think we give too much power to wizards of the coast when we think about D and D and we don't need to, right? Like they don't, they, they own D and D, but they don't own your books and they don't own your games. Right. And they don't own what you want to get into. And I'd argue particularly recently, it feels like the quality of material coming out of Wizards of the Coast is probably on par with the quality of material coming from other third-party publishers, which means we should be just as happy with our third-party publishers as we are with Wizards. We should be talking more about Empire of the Ghouls. We should be talking more about Tome of Beasts 2, right? Like when people say like, I really want more monsters, are they saying like Wizards has to make those monsters? Because I'll tell you, the monsters in Morning Canaan's are not as good as the monsters in, in, in um, Tome of Beasts. Right, Tone Beast One and Two, and Creature Codex. So, like, third-party publishers, in my opinion, are as good. The the people working on them many times are as good as the stuff that's coming out of Wizards of the Coast, and we should be giving it as much credence. I read a Reddit post recently that said, like, we need. Is it time for a book of martial feats? Right. And the premise was, shouldn't we have a book that's martial, that has a lots and lots of martial feats that like treats martial feats like there's the spells of a spellcaster. And my response was, write it, do it, go to the DMs Guild and write your own or not even the DMs Guild. You've got the OGL, write whatever you want. Look, ask somebody else to write it, you know, convince another small group to do it. Why does wizards have to be the one to do it? You know? So, you know, I don't think like us kind of sitting around waiting for wizards to make whatever it is we want. Isn't the answer. The answer is like either let's do it ourselves because we can, or um, let's go to third party publishers who are more willing to do stuff like that and take chances on stuff like that. So who, who are good ones? I love, I think Monty cook games is making a lot of really interesting fifth edition stuff. I think Arcana of the ancients is really cool. Um, again, told us, I just talked about, I'm looking at my shelf on stuff. Uh, obviously Cobalt Press is huge and Cobalt Press has so much stuff. Don't tell me, don't ever come to me and say, I wish we had more character options. And I'll say, have you looked at the character options in Cobalt Press? Cause they have tons of them, tons of, them. I wish we had more magic spells. Really? Have you read Deep Magic by Cobalt Press? Cause it's got a lot of magic spells, right? It's got 350 pages of magic spells. We need a book of, of magic items. We need more magic items. Okay, the Vault of Magic is coming out by Cobalt Press. Nord Games, fantastic stuff coming out of Nord Games, right? Uh, now we've got, um, uh, who is it? Sean Merwin 
is working over at um, Ghostfire Games. Uh, I think is it is Joey Hake is James Hake working there too? Uh, MCDM's Arcan- Ar- Arcadia. James Intercasso, who has written like six hardcover books for D and D, is now the lead editor. Or like, I don't know if he's the lead editor, but he's like you know, <laughs> he's full time staff over at MCDM. They're going to be doing some cool shit over there, right? So Nord Games, um, 2C Gaming. You know, Ryan Service and at 2C Gaming and Celeste Conowich is over there now and they're making some awesome stuff. Talk about, a, okay, we, we want an optimistic campaign world that we we're talking about. Take a look at her Kickstarter's done. Uh, take a look at the Venture Maidens one. It looks awesome, right? So there's lots of good third-party publishers that are making stuff. Um, take a look at them, right? Like, don't, we, we should not be sitting around wringing our hands waiting for Wizards of the Coast to make stuff that we want, Right? We should be looking at the huge range of material that exists that's fully compatible with 5e. I actually think the number one limiting factor in that is that it's not in D&D Beyond, and people love D&D Beyond, and I think that's actually a limiting a limiting problem. He's not your problem, says, hey, Sly, I heard you've got an article on upcoming Arcadia. I do, I think. I mean, yes, I wrote one, and uh, I'm excited for it, and I don't know if I can say anything more. I don't know what I can say about it. You know, nobody said I could say anything about it. And I'm always like, well, we'll see when it's out. But I was very excited. I, I you know, got to work with my friend James. He's fantastic. And uh, it's all very cool. So pay more attention to third-party resources. That's my, you know, we should all do that. There's really cool stuff. What did I get? I just got a new big book of monsters that Rob Schwab wrote, you know? And I was like, this is like his Elder Evil stuff, right? Like, what was that one? I got to go find it. I just got the, um, it was weird. It, they didn't do a Kickstarter, but I'm thinking you could buy it. It's a book of fiends. Malefic Bestiary for fifth edition by Robert Schwab, right? So this is Robert Schwab who wrote Elder Evils for third edition, wrote all of Shadow of the Demon Lord. And it's a and it's right up his alley, right? Like if you ever wanted Schwab to write stuff, a book of fiends, 130 demons, devils, demons, and other creatures, the lower demons, you know, the art is awesome. We talk about your inspirational art. Schwab talking about Schwab stuff. He wrote this in July 2021. Isn't that, that's years from now. That's, that's not, they got that date wrong. That's not a good start. Um, ah, grim stuff. Look at that. Just chopped up people. This is maybe, I was probably not appropriate. I don't know. I'll find out. Lots of material. And Schwab can write, man. Like he, you know, if I want dark grim stuff, I want Schwab writing dark dark grim stuff. Uh he wrote it from the future. Yeah, look at the look you know, inspiring art. Look at that thing. What is that? Lots of lore, right? So so beyond and I know it's got stat blocks in here. Somewhere in here are stat blocks. Whoops. Oh, I froze my window. Uh-oh. Fans of my computer are going off. Oh well. So uh can you get oh there it goes. Yeah, see the set box and stuff, right? Now I don't I don't know about the playtesting. I don't know how they design these things. Uh they could be totally broken, I'm not sure. But I can tell you a lot of stuff in Morden Canaan didn't work out real well. Cool stuff, right? Like that you how many of you heard about this, right? Check it out. Like what if Wizards of the Coast made a with me a book of fiends? You'd be like, oh Wizards of the Coast made a book of fiends cares man green ronin did it and look at the freaking pedigree here aaron loeb eric mona chris promise robert schwab those are they know what they're doing they know what they're doing so you know pay more attention to third-party products uh trust third-party resources um 
Let's see. I don't want to talk about all this stuff. So we'll move this down to the list. Uh, I want to talk about the short videos and then we'll talk about Frostmaiden stuff. Um, so I've started doing something new. Uh, I've started shooting short. I think I might've talked about this last week too. I did two more this last week. And if you're on my Patreon, you can see the previews of those videos. I don't know when I'm going to put them up yet. I've got to, I got to figure out the, the right cadence to put these videos up. I've started shooting three minute DM tip videos. And the idea is to pick one small topic and dive deep into that particular topic for three minutes, right? And, and, and short videos and they're popular. They're getting many more views than my longer videos are. So people seem to dig it. Um, you know, here's, here, here are some examples of the ones that I want to do like secrets serve you, right? Three minutes about the fact that don't get too bent out of shape, trying to make secrets do things when their whole purpose is that they help you. Right? So why do we do secrets? You know, and, I wanted to just three minutes on that. And what I, do, what I do is I write an outline for the video. I try to keep it really tight. And I write, so what are the main things I absolutely have to say in this video? And I just say that stuff. I usually shoot about five minutes and I edit it down to three. And the nice thing is those are pretty easy to do. Um, they're pretty easy. They, they're, I can, I can kind of do it from the start to finish in about an hour, which is about as long as it takes me to write an article. And, um, uh, gets you know, more views in some cases than, than the article would. So I've got lots of these. If you have thoughts, particularly if you are a patron of Sly Flourish and you have thoughts about ones you want me to do, uh, drop into the patron discord or, or email me or something and say, I'd really love to see a video, a short video on these, but I have lots of these. And the nice thing is I can, I, you know, I'm, I'm recycling old material that I've written about. So it's, you know, but the thing, like one of the most important things, one of the things I think help people run great games and again ad free they're very quick you know and 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 that is all because of the the um, my 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 friends on patron the patrons of sly flourish are able to help me out uh on videos when is the series with john dropping aha thank you for asking it is dropping this week uh thursday this thursday uh four videos uh that john four and i john four from role-playing tips and i are going to land uh the way to the first video, uh, I don't know if there's a good way to, I don't know how I can show it. Sorry. Um, cause they're not live yet. So the first video is going to be up on Thursday and, uh, it will show up as a regular YouTube video. So if you have subscribed to my YouTube channel, you will see it that way. Uh, if you, um, you know, however, however you normally find out about my YouTube videos, you'll find out about them. And they're each about 20-ish minutes, some 20 to 30-minute discussions about topics. The first one is on um, building situations in the five-room dungeon. And it's, it's a great video. It's really interesting stuff. He's a great guy. And I think the two of us really hit it off and, and have some good ideas. They're tight, well-edited videos. They were hard for us to, you know, I had to do a lot of editing. We did, we did a lot of work to make these videos really good. And so there's four videos. The first video we get on YouTube. The second video you get by signing up for both of our newsletters, there is one by signing up for it, I should say, uh, you, you sign up to get the next video with your email address. And when you do your email address, both John four and I will, you, you have subscribed to both of our lists when you sign up for it. Um, the, but it's still free. All you have to do is sign up. Uh, the third video is available to patrons of Sly Flourish. That one is on. Oh, so the second one is on maps and map, map making, map building, uh, where to, where to, how to make them and where to find them. Um, and, and how to find good ones, like, you know, what makes a good map versus a bad map. Um, so that's the second video you, you'll, you'll sign up on a website to get that one. Uh, the third video is on running, 
uh, heists, heists and capers. And that one is available on the Sly Flourish Patreon. And then the fourth video is on running mysteries. And that one is available on John Four's Patreon. Uh, so you get all four videos by watching one, the first one on YouTube, signing up for the second video, signing up to my Patreon for the third, and signing up for his Patreon for the fourth. And uh, that gives you the full video series. So total cost is four bucks, right? Which is pretty good. Trust me, it was hard for us to put these together. So uh, four really good, tight videos, show notes. They're all got tables of contents in them. Um, they're all excellent. So yeah, they will be out starting Thursday. Monday, my Sly Flourish article for a week from this Monday is going to be about that. And we have all the links to it. Uh, and the newsletter for Sly Flourish on Tuesday, we'll be talking about how to get them all. So all of the videos have links about how to get the other ones. So you'll be able to, you'll be able to figure that out. So yeah, that's coming out. Thank you for bringing that up. Uh, what else? Now we're back to my other. So I talked about that. So there's a short video. So if you want to see newer short videos, I'm going to, I'm, I'm aiming for one a week. Um, uh, my, my goal is to kind of shoot one of the, one of those videos a week and, um, and put them up once a week and treat them a lot like the articles on Sly Flourish. So more stuff coming out of Sly Flourish. Uh, Myers End. So uh, this past week, I started working on an adventure location, which is really ending up a lot like um, the other adventures that I've written for patrons. Uh, so I think there's going to be a third one of those called Myers End. Myers End is a exploration-based adventure in which the characters have to close a gateway that was originally set up to go to the Feywild and now has opened up to the Abyss and terrible necrotic sludge is flowing out of it. And it's all happening inside of a, uh, what used to be a retreat and is now a burial chamber for a half unseelie fey prince called Blackhorn. And um, the, the, the place had remained inert and, and undisturbed for hundreds of years until Gnomish explorers went there to try to reopen the gate. And they did reopen the gate, but they failed. And they uh, opened up a gate to the abyss instead. The characters need to go in there and deal with it. It's a short adventure location. I think it'll be like four or five pages. And it will be available exclusively to patrons of Sly Flourish. So um, I'm working on that now. Um, I think I'm, I'm, I hope to have a draft of it done this week. Uh, so yeah, so it should be fun. I, I want to do more stuff like this. I, I want to expand the kinds of things that I'm putting out for my Patreon. And... Um, so far, I've been putting out adventure, uh, uncovered secrets and adventure generators, which are great. I also want to start doing like NPCs or locations. Um, you know, just like if, if we just looked at a location and wrote descriptions of locations and stuff like that. So more small products, products is kind of a, you know, more small things that you can sort of grab and print and, and use in your game. Um, so not full big adventures, not giant hooks, you know, but, but things that you can grab from and, and use and, and, and get a lot of value out of. That's my, that's my hope. And I think it will be valuable to do that on the, the Patreon. Uh, I don't think I'm going to do this yet. And I would, you know, I'll, I'll mention it here uh, and, and get your thoughts. And you can tell me if it's, if it's being terribly greedy or whatever. Uh, one thing I do on my Patreon is that I don't limit stuff. So as I put out more and more stuff, being a patron, you get more and more things. I think there will come a time where the value of the total amount of material that's there is worth more than the two bucks a month that people have been paying. 
Uh, my plan, however, is to simply limit the $2 patron tier and create so everybody that has been a patron can remain a patron for two bucks. Uh, they can just stay in their slot. Uh, but new patrons will have to pay three, right? And the reason for that is patrons who have been supporting me for a long time have certainly paid their due for the stuff that they're getting. A brand new patron who jumps in for two bucks gets suddenly a wealth of material that they haven't supported over the past year or two, however long I've been doing the patron. So I think I might, like, as the amount of new material comes out and the total amount of material is really high, uh, that I might need to, a need is extreme, I, just from the value proposition of what they're getting, bump it up to a dollar or another dollar, not for current patrons, not for anybody that's been supporting it, uh, but for anybody new coming in. So I'm, I've seen other patrons do this. I think it might be a pretty good idea. It's kind of, it's a reward to the people who have been supporting Sly Flourish for a long time, particularly when there wasn't anything on the patron. Um, can I archive material? I can, but like, I don't know what it means to archive it. All right. I mean, you can get it all. So any, any new member that joins the patron gets all the material there. And right now it's 30, I think it's 35 pages of adventure generators and uncovered secrets. And then two full adventures. Um, so I don't want to create a paywall. Like, I don't want to have to take it away. Um, seems like you could compile in an archive or something like Sly Volume 1. Well, so that's the other trick, and this is why I might not do it. And that's because I am going to take the Uncovered Secrets. Um, I'm going to take the Uncovered Secrets, and I'm going to take the Adventure Generators, and those are going into the Lazy DM's Companion, a new book that I'm going to kickstart this year. Right? I'm going to take those, I'm going to clean them up, edit them, put them in a good layout, really make them nice, and that's going to turn into a book, which means... There's that book too, and it's going to be making money. So I don't really need to like make patrons pay more for the stuff that they could get also by buying the book. I got to think it through, right? But that material is still there. So I don't know. It's really hard. Um, it's mostly about just saying like that there's a lot of value in that material. The title is called The Lazy DM's Companion. That's going to be the third book of the Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master series. So Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master, the Lazy Dungeon Master's workbook, and the Lazy Dungeon Master's companion are going to be three books. The companion is about guidelines and inspiration to help you build your D&D games, right? Uh, it is not the book you use at the table like the workbook is. Uh, it is not a uh, guidance on how to prep your games. It is inspiration and guidelines to help you, you know, um, inspiration and guidelines to help you more easily run your D&D games. That's the, that's the goal. Anyway, it's just something I'm thinking about. And Meyer's End, uh, but Meyer's End will be something that patrons will hopefully get, I don't know, a few weeks. We'll see. Um, you know, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, and I'm really looking forward. Lazy DM's Companion. I'm starting to, so I've already commissioned the cover. And next week, I'm talking to the folks that are going to help me build it. But a lot of it's written because you've seen it. Patrons have seen a lot of what's going to be in it. Optimum says, I think you're facing unique. I don't think it's unique. Uh, a unique problem. You've been around so long, you basically have a body of IP to manage. Most patrons don't have that problem. I don't. I think they do. Like, uh, if you look at, like, Printable Heroes, if you join the, the Patreon for Printable Heroes, you get access to all of the Printable Heroes he's ever made. Uh, if you do the same for Tabletop Audio, a lot of them... Uh, and I think they, they uh, this is something MCDM did. So MCDM originally said, we're going to put up an issue of Arcadia and then take it down. And what they've said now is, no, we're going to keep them up there, right? So you can just go get them, 
right? And that means that new patrons get a better deal for their dollar than old patrons do. And I just, I, 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 I feel like old patrons should be rewarded more. And other than taking it away from new people, there isn't a great rate of reward. But one way to reward it is to say it becomes more expensive to join later, right? So I don't know. I'm just thinking. It's, it is literally a thought, you know, I had. And and um, and it isn't about the money. It's about making sure that the people are getting the right value of you know, the the right material for the right value. Freelancing and self-publishing. So Jeff Stevens tomorrow evening is doing a show about. Uh, RPG freelancing and pay rates and things like that. Uh, I was originally going to be on the show and when he asked me to go on and I said, sure, because I love talking. Who doesn't love talking? And uh, then I said, you know who you really need to talk to is Teos Abadia. Like Teos has thought about this a lot. Why don't you have Teos on the show? And so Jeff's like, okay, I'll reach out to him. He reached out. I said, yeah, Teos is there. And I'm like, you know, you really ought to talk to Ryan Service about this from 2C Gaming. He had a lot of really interesting thoughts that I'm basically going to be regurgitating because I don't actually hire freelancers for writers. I, I am a freelancer for writing and I write my own stuff. I don't hire people to write because I want to do the writing. So I'm really not a great, you know, a great guest for that kind of thing. I have opinions because everyone's got opinions, but it'd be more interesting to talk to Ryan Service, who's worked with dozens of freelance writers and get his insights on it. Same with Teos, who's been a freelance writer and has worked with many, many companies over it, like, and has thought about it and talked, you know. So I'm, I'm, the end result is I'm not going to be on the show um, because I gave up my seat for two other people, <laughs> which is great because I'm going to sit and watch and, and enjoy their conversations on it. And I thought I'd talk a little bit about it, but I don't know if there's anything to talk about. Um, and we're already, we're already 11 minutes in, into, you know, we're, we got 50 minutes left to talk about Frostbane stuff. So, uh, so I'm not going to talk about that maybe some other time. So now I want to talk about Frostmaiden and we're not going to talk about it in the sense of game prep. We're going to talk about it in the sense of pondering the rest of the adventure. We're going to do some kind of higher level, higher level thoughts, um, about Frostmaiden, and I want to talk about that. I had an opportunity this past week. I was on vacation. I got to spend a lot of time just relaxing, which meant reading more D&D stuff. And uh, I spent more time thinking about Frostmaiden and, and how I read, I read more of it. Like, I've read the book, right? It's not that I haven't read it, but I, um, it's easy to forget stuff. And it's easy, like, when you're actually playing through it, uh, is when uh, uh, when you're reading th when you're playing through it, it, things later start to make sense. And I have a few things that I wanted to talk about. Um, one is how to make the transition from chapter one to chapter two, and really chapter three and four. Uh, and then how to kind of tie into the bigger events going on in the later chapters and like, and what modifications need to be made that I, that I need to know about now. So I, I don't, I don't believe strongly in like, you know, having to plan a lot for the end. Cause like when I get to it, I'll get to it and I'll, and I'll, I'll tweak it how I tweak it. So I'm more interested in the next step, which is getting into chapter two than I am into the later stuff. But there are questions like, I don't think I like how the ending of the book is laid out and I want to change it a little bit. Um, so I'm just going to make a new page uh, and we're going to call this, 
you know, Frost Maiden thoughts. And so one thought, one, one question that is outstanding is uh, how is the Frost Maiden causing the endless night? Uh, as the book has it, big spoilers coming up, uh, every night, she, the the uh, Oral gets atop her big crazy rock. She flies out in the sky and she casts a big spell using the codicil. Is it the codicil of the white? Yes, codicil of the codicil of white. Is it? Or does she use this or how does she? I thought that she used this uh, to cause the. You can do so by slaying a circle without which uh, cast her nightly spell. So she casts a spell. So I guess getting the codicil doesn't stop her because she still has the spell. Uh, and she's flying around a rock. Um, okay. You know, that's one way to do it. Yeah, optional rule says, the problem is that you usually focus on your session and prep and rely on the module to have a long-term continuity, but this module falls apart in that context. So the thing you're looking for is the thing it doesn't do. Yeah, true. That just keeps the glacier locked. It just points the way to the Nethery city, right? So that's one thing to do. Okay. So she's, you know, so I'm, I want to change this. And the way I want to change it is we, another thing is there is a mythal inside Yethrim, right? If we go down to Yethrin, uh, is a, after using the Yethrim Mithralar to lift the enclave of Yethrim into the sky, right? So there's this huge crystal ball in an, or, an ornate cradle. I want to change it so that the, you know, this is, it's similar to like, so, so this is our, like, I guess it's not quite a three of five keys thing. Right. But I want the mythalar to be, uh, I want her to be using the mythalar to causing, to cause the endless night. So what if, so I want to change the ending, right. And, and say, what, what are the things that are causing the endless night? Um, and, and part of it, I think, is the power source that's sitting in Yethrin. This Yethrin Mithalar is causing the Endless Night. And also, uh, Oral, uh, also Oral is causing it. So if you have two things, you have a, a god on Earth, a god in Faroon who's causing it, and you have this power source, what if one of them is defeated and not the other? What would happen? Do you need to defeat both to stop the Endless Night? Can they, if they, if they just went and they bring it to Oral and kill her. Um, yeah, and there's a seat to the mini mythalaring black cabin. Yes, I want to get to that. We're going to work backwards to that. So she's casting this spell. It's sort of bound to her, right? And is it is it a balance that she like? Is it is it possible that if you were to go and kill her? I guess the question is like, let's say you go and you deal with the mythalar in Yethin. What would happen if you kill Oral and stop the rock and she can no longer cast her spell? Does the Endless Night stay? And I know in the book it says, no, it goes away. But is there, is there, what if, what if she's actually trying to create stability? So like the power is, it's like a nuclear reactor, right? And she's been keeping that nuclear reactor at just the right level. And if, and if you kill her, you better get down to that glacier and stop the Mithalar because if you don't, I don't know what happens. Like, you know, it's somehow even worse. So can you do a collect three of five? I was, I was wondering about that. I don't think I need to. I think it's basically a, a, a two of two, 
right? That like the bad guy already has it, you know, and, and she has her spell, which is like her normalization spell. And then she has the power that's being generated in the Mithalar and the two are connected. And if you screw with one, the other one goes out of hand. So, and it can be in serial. We could still run it the same path, which is you have to get to her. You have to, you have to get to uh, Grimskull and you have to uh, get into the Mithalar in order to end the Endless Night. I mean, that could be the other one. Is she, she doesn't have to. What if you just say that the, the thing that's causing the Endless Night is the Mithalar, that she has cast a spell and she has bound it. And there isn't this idea that she has to renew it every day, right? Do we, do we lose anything if she is um, kind of wandering around the icy side, you know, but she doesn't have to do anything? Then what is she doing? I don't know. I got to think about that. Like what, what, what is, or so what does oral want? Let's go, let's go from a front perspective, right? So she has to be doing something. And then I've got this other angle, which is I threw, I threw what's his name in there. The, uh, um, the elder evil Thrun. So what is she doing? So she's got some pure dedicated followers, frost druids and stuff like that. And they are awakening animals and they're trying to rid I think her goal is to rid to rid the north of society, right? She wants isolation in the north. And there are the regged tribes, so she's probably and I think it's a slow thing for her. She's not doing it all right away. She can't just show up and destroy them. So she's the endless night is working. But she's also kind of turning the tribes against one another. She is, you know, her druids are awakening animals and kind of pushing against society. She created or she kind of fueled the children of Oral to get the people of Ten Towns to destroy themselves. You know, that she's sort of, you know, doing all of these things. Like if we, if, if we take it from a front, like uh, we have Oral as a front. Uh, her goal, if we, if we simplify our front, our, our fronts to what does she want? So she wants to rule over a frozen, isolated uh, wasteland in the north. I would say she doesn't really want followers, right? And the fact that, like, as her followers are breaking down, maybe she's getting weaker, but she wants to be separated and isolated from the other gods, right? I think, is that is that what is in the book? What is her motivation in the book is something I ought to read. But I think I think it's pretty close to that. You can, you can tell me. Oh God, what just happened? And then we have the, uh, the grim portents, right? And the grim portents that have been going, and we, we might have a few of these, right? The, uh, so we can have the Regan war with one another, uh, awakened... Uh, awakened animals wage war on uh, humanoids. Uh, the children of Oral eat ten towns from the inside. What are, uh, well, obviously, uh, as night grows, uh, the land gets colder. Fleeing from the other fury gods, right? She's yeah. She wants she she wants to be alone, right? 
Or is losing her divinity, her followers are dwindling, and so she's barely a god anymore. So she is using the Mithalar and the remnants of her power to lock the north in ice while cause fear of her to spread and gather her more followers. What if she doesn't want followers, though? What if, what if like, yeah, I know that followers are lifeblood, but I just want to be, you know, like, you know, the squabbles of mortals is such a pain in the ass. I don't want to deal with that anymore. And I would rather be weak. Right? Um, are there other grim portents that we, so what if she, I still like the idea that like she regulates, uh, the endless night. Because she, I think she wants to like lower the power base, but not so low that she is destroyed outright. What if she's suicidal? What if she's trying to die? That's grim. But what if, the, what if that's the case? She can't, she can't die otherwise, but she can get rid of all of her followers. I don't know. So what would happen if it went out of control and then the whole place froze too fast? I think she would die, right? So I think she's regulating the endless night. So I think that works. And then that, that means that it's up to the characters. And this is where we can bring in, um, what's her name, the NPC, who can kind of explain what's happening and say, here's what we need to do. And that's sort of the, that's sort of act three, right? So if we think about this, uh, if we think about this in acts, right? Let's, so act one is 10 towns and the children of Oral, right? Uh, act two is um, Sunblight. Act three, the Frost Maiden, the Endless Night, right? If we think about this this campaign in these three acts, uh, in Act One, it's all about the, the the characters help the people of Ten Towns survive the Endless night uh the characters that's one thing they do they also um disassemble disassemble is not the right word. what's it called when you um deconstruct what's the right word there break it down right they break down the children of oral it's not dissect i don't know what word i'm looking for disassociate oh god there's a word um, I think that's the main goal here. Dismantle. That's the word I'm looking for. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you, myth and lore. Um, oh, so turn into bullet list. Is there anything else to do? And then they get the hooks that lead them into chapter two, but I guess we don't, right? Um, they uncover, so then Sunblight, right? Uh, the characters find out that the Duergar are attempting to destroy Ten Towns. The characters face Sunblight. Uh, the characters save Ten Towns from the Shardalon Dragon. I'm not spelling that right. That's really the big arc in chapter two, kinda. And then the Endless Night. Um, the characters travel to Grimskull 
uh, to acquire the the codicil of white characters enter Yethim um, Yethrin the characters dismantle the um, what's it called the Mithalar so that's really cool. I really, really, I don't like to push a campaign to a particular ending, but oh man, the idea, where, where's that, the obelisk, right? This, this, I really want this to happen. This year of chilled marrow. I really want the characters to go back 3000 years. I think that's so cool. I want to figure out how to make that happen. I really want to do that. I don't know how that's going to happen. Somehow we're going to lead to that. Damn it. Uh, the characters activate the, the characters activate the Netherese obelisk. I'm going to, yeah. So in Act 2, so if, if Act 2, Ten Towns is really Chapter 1, uh, Sunblight is really Chapter 3 and 4. I mean, I guess this is Chapters 2. And as part of the Sunblight chapters, mixed in here are the... Um, you know, subquests, right? Uh, a number of subquests, and and I'm I'm so now we're we're narrowing back. So which subquests? I actually started working on this, and which subquests from chapter two do I want to run? Uh, I know I want to run uh, these one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Up, you know, perhaps I want to. I'm I'm happy to run. I want to run these quests. These don't need to be checkboxes because I dig them. I looked through all of the things that you can do in chapter two, and I think these are these are cool ones. Now, so some of them, what's the hook? I guess, you know, the, the question I have is like, what's the hook that brings them to, oh, what did I just do? I just did stuff. I made it, I made the text too small because I had, I had the wrong button. Um, so what is the hook that takes him to each of these subquests? So the black cabin, oh, I'm going to do the easy ones first, right? Um, it is Ascendant. So anybody that's got a connection to the Mind Flayers is going to learn about the crash ship uh, where the it Ascendant is. So I've got a good, clear path there. Uh, the lost spire of the ne of the netheril. The hook there is that uh, the ghost, uh, or let's see, uh, the old map held by uh, what's his name, um, the wizard that gets burned to death, which is pretty grim. Talk about grim. We talk about grim all the time here. Uh, That is in East Haven. Uh, what's the guy's name? The Red Wizard. 
Dazan, right? So uh, old map held by Dazan reveals the Lost Spire. Uh, and that has, and then that one hooks into being able to find Yethrin, right? It says that they, they can learn more about Yethrin there. So that would be a, that's a cool. Um, so what, I, I don't like the hooks that bring people to the black cabin. I'm trying to think of like the best way, you know, what are the, so like Dark Duchess they could hear about, right? Um, easy way for Dark Duchess, the characters hear about a frozen ship filled with treasure. But what if there's something else there that they need, Right. Oh, Revel's End. Um, what's his Gant? Um, what's the guy's name? Valish Gant knows something the characters need to learn about. What is it that he knows that they need, right? Uh, Jarlmood is the the giants. That might be kind of a, like some of these. I think are fine as subquests, like. Like, which ones do I really want to run? I want to run Lost Spire. I want to run It Ascendant. And I want to run Black Cabin. Right? Those are ones that I really want to run of these of these secondary quests, of the quests in Chapter 3. Chapter 2. Chapter 2. So those I need to have, like, strong reasons why you need to go there. Are there any PCs on the run? The dark? Well, I think the Dark Duchess has been here a while, right? So subquest and hooks. Uh, cackling. Well, so let's let's take a look and make sure that I've got this right. Get rid of that. Um, table contents. And yeah, so these are all the places of interest in chapter two. Uh, Andrix Bell, which is going to lead to that leads to um, uh, going to Grimskull. Um, black cabin. I want to run crack cackling chasm. I think, is this Knowles? These are, so this, this could be just kind of a fun Knoll hunt, right? What is the tiny silver fish hook? I mean, I guess we can go with the quest that's in the book because it's not terrible, right? So this isn't a terrible quest, right? Um, the murdered fisher and her fishing hook. That's not a bad quest that they can kind of hear about and decide. You can also kind of have them find the, uh, the dark duchess. So I guess the black cabin, uh, they could hear. So the the deal with the black cabin is that uh, uh, the deal with the black cabin, I could just run into it. Um, let's see. This old black cabin's been around. No one knows who built it. Lots of folk got a bad feeling about it. Some say it's haunted, but there's a gnome in Bryn Shander who claims a magical experiment's being performed there. So copper, the the gnome copper could come to the party, right? And ask them to check in on Macradius. Macradius, right? Macrady from I get it. I get jokes. Um, who may have a way to end the endless night. That is a good strong hook, right? So the the big part is like, hey, you know, you talk to my friend Macradius, and Macradius might have a way to end the endless night, but might need help to do so. It's hard to pass on that. Dark Duchess. So what what could the Duchess have that the characters would want or need? Uh, let's look at the Dark Duchess. Uh, what is the first of all? Let's 
Yeah, so there's a rumor that it's full of treasure. You could certainly do that. Uh, this rum, uh, so I guess they have the rum quest, which is kind of dumb. Who cares about booze? Uh, is there something else that could be aboard the Dark Duchess that could help them? Is there, could they be carrying something that the, that the mind flayers need? Uh, that could be interesting. I don't know. I got to find a better hook for the Dark Duchess. I'm not sure what it is. Um, and so you're same. So you like, you know, Jarlmood is another, like the characters that another, so, you know, you could have the Frost Rider at Yeslin Bloodfang, human druid, former regged noble tribe of the came to lifestyle. She could kind of turn on them. I always hate betrayal, NPC betrayals, lame. But, you know, rumor that there's something, well, it's a horn of blasting, right? That's, that'd be kind of cool. What could they need the horn of blasting for? So they could use it to get into places, right? What, what, the obvious choice is they need to use it to break something free of the ice. And the only, you know, there's like magical ice is the only thing that can do it. What could they, you know, what would they need it for? I mean, it's possible they could need this along with the, um, the codicil of the white, or the codicil of white in order to get into Yethrin. That could be an option that there, you know, there's, there's a great, it won't be enough that the codicil shows them where it is, but the horn of blasting is required to get inside. You know, that's, that's an option. Um, there is a, I don't like tricking. I, I, you know, people always feel like they're getting taken when they get tricked. But that could be one. Yeah, so I'll have to think about it. Like I get, to, I don't have to figure it out right away. And maybe as the game goes on, I'll figure out like what items. But the idea that like, you know, you, you essentially, if you need to pick up MacGuffins, um, if you need to pick up MacGuffins, the Dark Duchess, you know, all of these can work if you need to pick up MacGuffins. It's just, what do you need the MacGuffin for? Right. So I have to kind of tie that together. I got to kind of think that through and, and, and tie that together to, you know, to see like, what, what are the, you know, if the goal is they need to reach, well, so the, what if the, so the bell, Angix bell, which is required for them to get to, in order to get to, uh, Grimskull by way of Angix bell, they, need the bell. And what if the bell was stolen by pain in the ass Knowles and that took it to the cackling chasm, right? That could be an option or that it was, it was swept up and dragged to the dark duchess. You know, that could be something. I don't know. You, you kind of want quests that are meaningful, right? You want to have like reasons that they go to any of these places and they shouldn't have to do them all. So like, I don't know. It's you know, these, these quests. I think the there's cool locations in chapter two. It's hard to find the right motivation for the characters to go there because these are less about helping the people of Ten Towns. In some cases there are, but in many cases it's not about helping the people of Ten Towns. It's just about going and seeing cool stuff. Um, what is the reason that people go to see Valish Gant, for example? Uh, Revel's End. Characters might be lured to Revel's End by one of the tales in the quest of start chapter that have to do with Valish Gant. So they can book passage on a shift. Uh, let's take a look at the Behind Bars quest. 
uh, behind bars. Uh, Devessa Shane, Speaker Bryn Shannon, worried that rumors of the Arcane Brand sent operatives to 1010. She expected Alish Gant. So she could send him to find out more. But you could also, especially if you have, like I think both my groups now have a member, a dead member of the Arcane Brotherhood with them who could say like, well, you know, the information we need, Valish Gant has it and we have to go to Revel's End to figure it out. Uh, Everlasting Rhymes isn't Frostman. It's actually the Arcane Brotherhood planning to take over 10 towns. Wizard who was burned at the stake in East Haven admitted to being one of them and said there was an Arcane Brotherhood lurking among us, Valish Gant. So that's about finding other members of the Arcane Brotherhood, but that's not really that important. Um, do any events happening in Revel? Like Revel's End seems like a cool place. Is there a a cool thing to do here? I don't know. You know, you could do like a cool heisty kind of thing where they have to go in almost like your Falcon and Winter Soldier, right? Like we have to, he's got information we need. The only way he'll give it to us is if we break him out, you know, or he, can, he has to show us. But I don't know. That seems like a big deal. Like, so I don't know that. I don't know how important it is that the characters go to Revel's End, but it might be kind of a cool thing. So generally speaking, they would go there because he knows something that they need to know. Right. He, he, he can learn. He knows. Right. He can learn something. So we can play that out. Um, as far as sort of like extending the option, the quest options from chapter one, uh, some clear quest options are the Black Cabin. Um, they can hear about the Cackling Chasm. They can hear about um, the It Ascendant is certainly high on their list. Yeah, I think, I mean, most of these, I think, have a good, strong hook. Uh, the idea of eventually they'll learn that they need the Horn of Blasting held in Yarlmoot. And it'd be fun for them to go to the Dark Duchess. But I got to find out, like, what item do they need there um, that's important to, to for going forward? I'm not sure. And then, of course, you have the whole connection to Sunblight, which I think is pretty straightforward. I'm going to run the Sunblight section differently. I don't know how we, that I'm going to, I'll figure that out as I go. But I know that the characters are going to learn that there are Duergar who are stealing Shardalon and bringing it back to Sunblight Fortress, uh, where they're building a war machine that they're going to stomp, you know, that they're going to use to stomp on 10 towns. And the characters go there. They go there, they find out that the machine was already sent, and then they have to quickly make it back to 10 towns in order to stop the destruction. So I think that could be really cool. Um, and then they find out that there is a way to end the endless night and that's really chapter three. So I think I can get rid of these two cause I've answered those questions. I mean, that gives me some good thoughts about where this adventure is going to go in the future. Obviously I don't need to have everything planned out. I don't want to plan everything out. I'm just kind of thinking about how I'm going to bring in, there's cool stuff in this book and I want to try to figure out how to bring it in. Um, and, uh, <coughs> Put my own little notes or do the gnolls have something else the players need, the characters need. So for Cackling Chasm, do the gnolls have something the characters need? It ascendant there, you know, the whole purpose is to rid the characters who have been infested. That's fine. Uh, is there what treasure do the characters need aboard the Duchess? Um, Lost Spire Netheril, I think, can be good because uh, it it shows has info on Yethrin. Yaromu, uh, the characters need to retrieve the Horn of Blasting Revels, and Valus Grant knows something, right? So I have like empty hooks in here. It looks like I've got a, a couple, 
Maybe, right? Cackling Chasm, there could be an item that Noel still that the characters need. Dark Duchess, there could be a treasure that the, is on the Dark Duchess that they need. And Revel's End, Valish Gant knows something that the characters need. I just don't know what those things are yet. I haven't drawn the hooks back from Zard, you know, from basically from Act 3, I think. I think most of this stuff is leading towards Act 3. And I wonder if this is where I need to drop items that that sort of get them there. So, like, what do they need? So we, we've said that the characters, you know, enter Yethrin using the Horn of Blasting and the Codicil of White, right? So they need two items to get into Yethrin. What do they need for Grimskull? So I like the idea that there's a bell, like that the bell is missing. That could be an item. And then... So then they need that to get the Grimskull. Is there anything else uh, that they would need? Or or it could do it where instead they need a map to Grimskull, which is only held on the Dark Duchess. But if I could find one other hook, something that they, they can learn about that's on the Dark Duchess that helps them with their, um, you know, helps them get further along. So one thing is that, like, could it could they have the power source required by the mind flayers um or could the, could we put in a tie in here with uh is it is it time to bring in my um githyanki here you know that could be pretty cool why would the power crystal be on this ship so i gotta think that through anyway uh i think we have hit the end of our uh, the value of our conversations today. It's, it's starting to get my head around. I'm going to, you know, it gives me an opportunity to kind of fill my head up. And then as I'm playing it, I'll probably go, aha, we'll do X. You know, I think that that could be cool. Um, so, oh, optional rule had a good idea. Combine Revels End and Dark Duchess. That that the prisoner has information about a stolen magic item. His his apprentice tried to sell it, sail off of that, but got frozen in ice and died. So, yeah, so... Um, that, that, that might be kind of an interesting way to go. Play to find out what happens, yes. So uh, so we will see. Uh, I want to thank everybody for coming today. Uh, always a great pleasure to have so many awesome people hanging out while I'm chatting about D&D. Always a, always, always a good time. Uh, thank you all for coming. Have a great day. And get out there and play some D&D. Take care, everybody.